This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. This is an RNZ podcast. Namihi nui and welcome to this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ with me, Alison Balance. We are going to have a bit of a virus 101 chat with expert Kurt Krauser from the University of Otago, focusing, of course, on coronaviruses. There's big debates about whether a virus is actually alive or whether it's inanimate, but essentially it's just a piece of either DNA or RNA that has this protein wrap. Sometimes there are some other loose proteins that are complexed with the nucleic acids, and viruses vary in terms of what kind of nucleic acid they have, DNA or RNA, and they also vary whether or not they have that lipid envelope. They vary greatly in size and the amount of DNA or RNA also. How many different kinds of viruses are there? Oh, goodness. I couldn't give you an absolute number, but there are hundreds of viruses and there are you know, viruses that are human trophic and there are viruses that tend to infect animals and there are viruses that in, infect plants. I attended an infectious diseases meeting in the U.S. where someone had developed a chip that would detect all viruses. And then he analyzed uh, what people were exposed to. And it turned out that we eat plant viruses constantly as humans, and they don't affect us. So we, we live in this world where there's just tons and tons of viruses. I remember reading something recently about doing surveys of seawater, and it turns out that seawater is just chock-a-block full of viruses. It is. It's brimming. And now there's about 100 viruses that are pathogenic to humans. So from your description of viruses, it sounds like viruses come in different types. So you, you get different families of viruses, is that right? Yes, absolutely. Usually the way they're classified is based on their nucleic acid composition. So there's the double-stranded DNA family, there's the single-stranded DNA family, double and single-stranded RNA families. So lots of technical details like that. And also the number and type of proteins that make up the shell that contains the nucleic acid. So they're all designed to survive very well in nature, and they can float freely. And then when they encounter a mucosal surface, like um, your throat or your eye or the inside of your nose, then they can be taken up, or at least that would be airborne viruses. Other viruses can be taken up through the bloodstream. But they're designed to unpack and then start replicating. And the way they wreak havoc is they enter a cell, and they take over our own cell's machinery and sort of subverts our biochemical machines and start using those machines to make their own viral particles. Then they'll make a ton of viral particles, which will swell the cell up and then burst the cell and then go on and cause other infections. Charming. So they're basically hijacking our cells. 
They are absolutely hijacking our cells, and they do all kinds of uh, fascinating uh, tricks. Sometimes they will secrete fake human proteins, and they will convince our human cells to destroy their own proteins, which are actually protective. They're insidious, and they do lots and lots of amazing things. So can you tell me a little bit about coronaviruses, the group to which COVID-19 belongs? So coronavirus is an RNA virus, and it doesn't have a particularly big genome, but it does have a lipid envelope. And this lipid envelope is important for maintaining its integrity, and it also is important for being able to break it down with sanitizers and soaps. Am I right in thinking that coronaviruses are amongst the viruses implicated in the common cold? Yeah, well, right. There are several different serotypes of coronavirus, and there were two serotypes that are real famous because one caused SARS and one caused MERS. But there are other coronaviruses, two other common serotypes that cause something really just like the common cold. So the common cold is classically caused by the rhinovirus, but a lot of different viruses can give you common cold type, runny nose, fever, stuffiness, headache, that kind of thing. And coronavirus was one of those. So I think I read there's about seven coronaviruses that affect us. As you say, those two bad ones plus the new one and then some milder ones. Yes, that's exactly right. And their weak point for all of those is this lipid layer, that, that envelope that you talked about. That's a weak point. These proteins are a weak point, And the spike protein, or the, the, the crown on the coronavirus, when you look at transmission EM, electron micrographs, you can see that crown. Those seem to be a good point for, for vaccine design. What does that spike protein do? When viruses cause infection, they have a lipid coat, right? But the spike protein allows it to bind to our proteins in order to be taken up and then uncoat and cause infection. And really the war that goes on between us and bacteria and us and viruses is a protein-protein war because we have our proteins and they have their proteins and their proteins try to bind to our proteins. They try to break our proteins down. They try to hijack our proteins. So we're in this protein-protein battle on a molecular level, and the spike protein binds to a receptor on the surface of human cells and facilitates the uptake of the coronavirus during the infection process. So something like coronavirus, which was clearly infecting an animal possibly, probably a bat we don't know for sure yet. What suddenly makes it able to jump species? So, you know, why was it not a problem for people until the end of last year? And then what happened to make it a problem for us? Yeah, the jury is out about this particular coronavirus and what has happened. A lot of work is going on. But essentially, there are viruses that can exist in people and animals. And sometimes get transferred back and forth. And there's an important concept that's emerging in medicine called One Health that points to the fact that our environment and what's going on with animals and what's going on with us are all interconnected. Influenza is a, is a big example because the same flu that we get is passed to birds and it's also passed to livestock and it goes around and around. Now, most of the time, the animal viruses stay in the animals and the human viruses stay in the humans, but sometimes mutations occur which allow greater transmission to take place. And there's usually a 
a couple of events. One of them is a juxtaposition of uh, humans and animals so that the viral transmission can take place. Like, for example, this open-air food market in Wuhan. I don't know that you, you've probably heard it the same that I've heard, that, that, that bats were available for consumption. Mm. If that's, in fact, true, that would put humans in proximity with an animal that has a lot of, of viruses. Another event which uh, is likely to have occurred is a mutation in one of these viruses which made it able to infect humans. And then if you have a combination of mutations that make it more pathogenic and make it spread faster, then you can get uh, something like what we've seen happen. It can happen. And it's happened several times in history, but we're living through a pandemic now that's, that's quite remarkable. We hear about mutations in relation to the annual flu and, you know, that mutates and we, we're always trying to stay one step ahead of it. So is what changes the protein on the outside? Is, does that become better at locking into our cells or something? Generally what happens is these viruses will mutate all the time and most of the mutations make them less effective or less lethal. So those then die out. But some mutations make them more infectious and more capable of spreading, and then those get selected for. So there's this constant background of mutations that are happening. As you pointed out, the mutations in the nucleic acid change the proteins. They change the proteins in the surface, and they can change the internal proteins, but the nucleic acids are the the code, if you will, that gets uh, translated into the protein sequence. What do you think we might be able to do in terms of developing a treatment for COVID-19, something that would kill it? <laughs> the vaccine is, of course, a really big hope, particularly vaccines directed against the spike protein, uh, and those are all in development. Gosh, there's dozens and dozens of vaccines that are in development now, and there's a vaccine uh, that was designed by Moderna in the U.S. that's gone into phase one trial. So humans have already started to receive it, and there'll be others during the next 12 months. Many different vaccines will go into trial. And if we find a vaccine that's effective, that will be our very best way of controlling this, this virus. The other thing is there are um, many, many compounds being tested that are called DAAVs, direct-acting antivirals. And these are compounds that bind to the proteins that are found in any virus, but in this case the coronavirus, and shut down their proteins and prevent them from hijacking our cell. So there's a whole bunch of drugs that are being developed that are in early stages. And one of the more interesting things from my point of view is there are a handful of drugs that are already out there, that have already been approved for other reasons or in advanced uh, preclinical development that appear to have activity against coronavirus and those are being studied now. If it turns out that they have um, a good effect against the coronavirus, we might have drugs that we can use to treat infection now while a vaccine is developed. What are some of those drugs, Kurt? All right, so one drug that's being tried is lopinavir ritonavir, which is also known as Kaletra, and it's an HIV drug. And that's been used in small clinical trials in, in China and is still being looked at. Another one is called chloroquine, which is a drug for malaria. I was going to say that's um, not even a viral drug. Right. But it, in the test tube, it inhibits coronavirus replication. Three very interesting drugs are remdesivir, 
galadesivir and favipiravir. Uh, the ivir is usually added at the end of the drug name to tell you it's an antiviral. And those three drugs inhibit the enzyme and the virus that allows its nucleic acid to be replicated, and they're absolutely essential for viral replication. These three drugs appear to have activity against uh, the coronavirus, and in a couple of cases, they're actually in phase three trials now, and results of these trials will be starting to come out uh, quite soon. And some of the early data on these trials looks very promising, although you really have to wait to see the the results of these trials in order to know the best thing to do. Thanks, Kurt. And virus expert Kurt Krauser is at the University of Otago. I'm Alison Balance, and this Our Changing World podcast from RNZ first aired on the 2nd of April 2020. You can listen again on our webpage, rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. While you're there, please, why not sign up for our free weekly email newsletter? Our Changing World is, of course, available on your favourite podcast app. As is RNZ's Coronavirus Podcast, a daily affair which comes out each morning to update us all as to what's happening with COVID-19 in New Zealand. Stay in touch with us on Facebook and Twitter at RNZ Science. Many thanks for your company. Take care and keep washing those hands. Catch you next time. Kia pai tora. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.